Welcome all to our, our online service this morning. This week we are we're beginning the season of, of Advent. And Advent is a, a time in the calendar of the church that, that leads up to Christmas. Advent simply means arrival. And so during these four weeks before Christmas, we as the church, we, we take time to reflect on the arrival of Jesus. And this reflection can take many forms because the arrival of Jesus meant many things, and it, it means many things for us today. You know, we could, we could just as faithfully reflect on what it means that, that God became man in what, what we call the Incarnation. We could easily reflect on, on what it means for Jesus to reign as, as king, uh, looking at the theme of the kingdom of God. I've even listened to a, an Advent series on the book of Revelation. You know, because we are we are actually between two advents, two arrivals, two comings of Jesus to this world. This year, however, I want I wanted to lead us in reflecting on what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, the the anointed one. And we we just finished as a church going through the book of of one John, and and we saw over and over and over again that John emphasized this aspect of Jesus. That, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the, the one who was coming into the world to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. So as, as we walk through the season of Advent this year, I want to look at Jesus through the lens of his role as our Messiah. And as, as our Messiah, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And, and this means many things, but it, it means at least three. It means that he is our, our prophet. It means that he is our priest and that he is our king. These three roles, prophet, priest, and king, in, in ancient Israel, all three of these were marked by being anointed with oil. And so, so before serving in the temple, the priests were anointed with oil. You can read about this in the, um, in the book of Exodus. Before um, serving as a king, the kings were anointed. This is when uh, Samuel comes to the house of Jesse and, and searches through his sons until uh, the Spirit of God uh, tells him to anoint David as king over Israel. And so, uh, in the same way, Jesus Christ was anointed. Um, he, he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would fulfill what it meant for all of these roles uh, to, to function in Israel. He was the perfect priest. He was the perfect prophet, the perfect king. He, he was the one who who uh, summed up what all of these things were and was the ultimate and the fulfillment of each of these roles. So over the, over the next three weeks, we'll be looking at each of these roles, what it means for Jesus to be our prophet, our priest, and our king. This week, however, I wanted to, to start by, by looking at uh, one of the first announcements of Jesus, of, of the Messiah. And we, we begin by looking at three different responses to Jesus's first arrival, his first advent. In Matthew chapter 2, we read of the responses of, of Herod, the response of the religious leaders, and the response of the, the wise men or the magi. You know, when, when Jesus is born and, and he, is, he is proclaimed as the Christ or the Messiah, we, we can read the responses of the people in the Bible. And these, these responses to him then often mirror the responses to Jesus today. And so they're actually, uh, in many ways, directly relevant to, to how we respond to Jesus as our prophet or as our priest or as our king, or just how, how people in general respond to the preaching of, of Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
So would you open your Bibles with me to uh, Matthew chapter 2? We're going to be reading, uh, I'll be reading verses 1 through 18 um, out of the out of the ESV or the English Standard Version. So would you uh, come to hear the word of the Lord with me? Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for, for so it is written by the prophet. And they quoted, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them along to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and, and behold, the, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they were no more. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me before we come to, uh, to, to the text today? Heavenly Father, we, we ask today that you would, uh, you would grant us uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Lord, we ask that as we, as we come to your word, we would see Jesus Christ. Lord, that our eyes would be open to receive him by faith. God, that we would recognize him for who he is and for what he has done for us. God, I ask for those who, um, who have not yet known Jesus as their Savior, as their Messiah. Lord, would you, um, would you open their eyes to see him? Would you open their hearts to receive him? God, I ask that, that in all things Jesus might be glorified. 
Lord, I ask that that his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection for us would be on, on full display as we study your word together and as we study your word throughout this week. Lord, I ask that you would give us soft hearts and not hard hearts. Lord, that we would respond not in arrogance nor in ignorance to the, the person of Jesus Christ, Lord, but in reverence and submission to his greatness, his glory, and the gift that he is to us. Thank you, Lord, for being the giver of this gift. Thank you for calling us into fellowship with you and with your Son, with your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you, would you go before us this week, give us grace and peace, and we ask now, particularly for this word, Lord, that it would sink into our hearts. And Lord, that whenever we are faced with who you are, whenever we read your word, we would respond with humble submission to your lordship and your kingship, your reign over our lives. Help us to, um, to see you for who you truly are at all times, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we have in our, in our passage today may not seem at first glance to be very relevant to our lives. After all, we, we have some pretty large issues to tackle as a nation and as a community, even as a church. And many of us are so consumed with the turmoil in the world today that it is hard to find even just an hour in our day where uh, an event or a conversation doesn't connect immediately back to the things that are going on around us, the, the, the bigger picture of the nation and the world. And this is, this is fair. The last year or two has been one of, of really great importance as the events that we have faced and continue to face are bringing to the surface many uh, assumptions that we hold as individuals about many things, whether society, the, the government, our local communities, even the church, whether the church universal or the local church, the, the, the events, the, uh, the, the shaking of the last year is bringing all these things to the surface. Well, the, the story that we have read today tells of, of a much more transitional moment in history. The last two years have been one of, of massive transition, of, of looking at the way things have been and the way that things need to be. But the birth of Jesus, the, the Messiah, this is a much, much more transitional moment in history because it, it changes everything. So just like this last year has forced us to react according to um, all of the underlying assumptions and values that we hold, the coming of Jesus Christ has forced a reaction uh, in the people in his day as well. And today, as we have read, we, we've seen three different reactions to the coming of the Messiah. You know, what, what we've called his advent, his arrival. And the, the advent of Jesus, the, the recognition of his identity as the Messiah, is the ultimate test of what we believe and what we value. If nothing else brings our assumptions to the surface for us to wrestle with, the person of Jesus Christ will. But before looking too closely at, at the different responses or reactions in the story that we read today, we need to establish what exactly they are reacting to. If you look back in your text with me, Matthew says that when the wise men came looking for Jesus, uh, they said this, they, they, they said this, um, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This, this doesn't really mean much to us today, quite honestly, unless we've, we've studied this or unless we're, we're, we're just very, very steeped in the Old Testament. But 
we read just in the next verse, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. You know, the, the text actually says he was shaken and all of Jerusalem was shaken with him. And so we, we have to ask why. Why when Herod and his people hear this, why were they shaken? Well, the, the truth is what they hear in this report of, of these magi from the east, these wise men, is, is actually a fulfillment of a messianic prophecy from the book of Numbers. You know, the, the Magi said that they saw his star when it rose. They, they, they're coming to see one born king of the Jews. Um, and and the, the Messiah was, was to be one who was the ultimate king in Israel. He's, he's uh, one of the descendants of David, you know, the, the great king over Israel, the one against, against whom all other kings were measured. And, and the Messiah is to be the ultimate um, Davidic king. He is the, the ultimate son of David the one who will rule his people forever in justice and righteousness and equity. Um, he is the ultimate salvation of his people. But when these wise men say, we saw his star when it rose, this is almost a direct quote of this prophecy in Numbers 24, verse 17, which says, a star shall arise from Jacob. And the response of Herod and of all Jerusalem shows that they recognize this as a fulfillment of prophecy. Herod is shocked, shaken, the text says. And, and we can see that, that he takes this as a messianic prophecy or a, a fulfillment of the messianic prediction because what does he say? He goes right to the religious leaders and he asks this question, where is the Christ? Which is just the, the Greek word for the Messiah. Where is he to be born? And so what, what we have in our story today are three responses to this proclamation of the Messiah. Three responses to the advent of of Christ, three responses to the preaching that Jesus Christ has come as the Christ, as the Messiah, one who is to be king of his people, Israel. So as we as we turn to walk through this passage, take note of, of two negative responses to Jesus and a third uh, positive, true, and right response to his identity. The first response we need to look at is Herod's. And Herod's response is one of, of shock. It's one of anger and of, of persecution. At first, like we said, Herod is, is shaken by this news. You know, because Herod has been made king in Jerusalem by the Romans, but he himself is not Jewish. You know, the, the Jewish people descended from Jacob, the, the child of, of Isaac, but uh, Herod descended from Esau, you know, the, the other son of Isaac. Herod was, was a king who ruled through fear and political power. He built many big cities, he had lots of big plans, and he actually fought and, and clawed his way to the throne through uh, many bloody trials and, and, and pushing his way into the throne. And Matthew makes it fairly clear that, that what shakes Herod is the fact that there is now a rightful king who has been born. And, and Matthew repeats this word king three times. Two times it refers to Herod, one time it refers to our Messiah. You know, he, he says in, in verse 1 that Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. And then the wise men come and they say, where is the one who has been born king? And then after they finish talking, Matthew says, when Herod the king heard this, he was shaken. You know, Herod's response comes out of a threat to his identity, out of a threat to the way that he held himself, out of a threat to all of the things that he held most dear. You know, at... At first, his response in this story seems, seems fairly innocent. Like, like many who hear of Jesus today, he immediately asks a few more questions. 
he gathers together the religious leaders and the scribes, and he asks them where this Messiah is supposed to be born. They respond by saying that he is to be born in Bethlehem, a town in Judea. And this is actually the city where David, Israel's greatest king, was born. And so even by this one fact, Herod's identity is threatened even more. So, so Herod uh, summons the, the magi, these wise men. He, he brings them in secretly. You know, th these are the ones who made the announcement to him in the first place. And he asks them to investigate, to go to Bethlehem and find where this child is. Herod tells them that he would like to worship this newborn king. And this sounds innocent enough until we continue to read and, and we hear that Herod's response was actually never going to be to worship this Messiah, as he claimed, but to kill him. Herod never had in mind worship, but war. So when the Magi uh, take a different route home after, after seeing Jesus, Herod's anger has, has no direction. And he is so shaken, so, so threatened by this Messiah that instead of killing just this one baby like he had planned, this one child who was born king of the Jews, he kills every male child, two years or younger, who live not only in Bethlehem, but also the surrounding regions, just to be sure. When faced with the coming of the Messiah, Herod's reaction is anger, resentment, persecution. Herod's violence towards Jesus stems from the threat that he perceives toward his identity. He arrogantly attempts to stop the coming of the Messiah and the fulfillment of God's prophecy about him. His arrogance leads him to assert his own identity over that of Jesus, to assert his own kingship over Jesus's claim as his king. This is actually a, a pretty typical reaction when we come face to face with Jesus or with his teaching. Some of us who have who have even recognized his identity, who, who believe in, in Jesus, still react this way when his commands threaten the way that we do things. Finding Jesus sounds great to many of us until he asks us to lay down our identities and to follow him. And in, in a culture that is so obsessed with uh, self-actualization, you know, this, this idea that we are each the captain of our own destiny and that we should be whoever we want to be, no matter what anyone else says, in this kind of culture, Jesus is perceived as the greatest threat to establishing our own identity. And Christians aren't, aren't immune to this kind of thinking about Jesus. It, it shouldn't surprise us that we who, who live and breathe and work in this culture of, of, of self-fulfillment have adopted subtle ways of thinking about ourselves that actually reflect the world around us rather than reflecting the truth of God. We often make the same arrogant mistake as Christians that Herod makes in this passage. We begin to identify ourselves against Jesus rather than in him. We set up ourselves as king rather than recognize Jesus as the true king. And Jesus is our king. The, the prophecy that the religious leaders quoted, it emphasizes Jesus's kingship. It calls him one who will shepherd his people. You know, the the picture that the Old Testament gives of the kings of Israel is that they are they are helping shepherds. They are under shepherds uh, who, who take care of God's flock of sheep. God is God is the owner. He is the one um, who is the true shepherd of his people. And the kings were just supposed to be under shepherds, ones who, who shepherd for God and, and who always recognize that the sheep that they were 
that they were shepherding were gods in the first place. The king in Israel was always meant to be a tool of God to rule his people. But Herod was a king who lived for his own kingdom. Just like many of us struggle to, um, to submit to the reign of God, we, we struggle to let go of the kingdom that we're building in our own life. So when, when Herod was faced with the true king of Israel, with, with the Messiah, he lashed out in anger and in, viol- in violence. This is, this is the first response, the one of, uh, of anger. But uh, the second response is, is equally as wrong as Herod's. And this response is the one that we see in the religious rulers. Who, when, when they hear that the Messiah is coming, Herod immediately asks these leaders where he will be born. And these leaders who, who have given themselves to the study of scripture and the spiritual leadership of Israel, they know the right answer. They point to a prophecy from the book of Micah that uh, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. However, these leaders, they don't go to Bethlehem. They stay in Jerusalem. They know of the Messiah, but they stay in Jerusalem and they enjoy their position as religious leaders and as theological rulers of the people. Instead of the arrogance of Herod, the religious leaders show ignorance. Because if if they really knew who Jesus was, if they really knew what the Messiah was was to do and to be, they would have run to Bethlehem to see him. These two reactions, one of of arrogance and one of ignorance, are, are the two most common reactions to Jesus Christ, even today. Herod Herod hears of Jesus. He recognizes the truth of his identity, and then he responds with arrogant anger and resentment. The religious leaders, on the other hand, they they hear of this coming Messiah, but they fail to recognize fully the truth of his identity. They fail to let the reality of the Messiah penetrate into their lives. Herod exalts his own identity over the Messiah in an effort to control him. But the religious leaders water down the identity of the Messiah until he fits into their boxes and is no longer an object of, of worship. You know, if if, uh, if 50 years ago, the the greatest hindrance or the greatest reaction to um, Jesus Christ as Messiah was ignorance. You know, many many people believed that there was a God. They believed that there was someone who um, who gave us moral commands and who was ultimately responsible for things like ethics and conscience and the way the world should work. But many people uh, in the last few centuries, they they, they tamp down the, the significance of this God. They tamp down the identity of this God uh, because they didn't they didn't recognize him fully, and so they didn't live up to um, they didn't live up to his identity. And so the the sin or the the reaction to the preaching of Christ a uh, hundred years ago was more this this ignorance, uh, not fully realizing the reality of Jesus. In our culture today, it, it, it's actually the opposite. There's, there's much more arrogance in our culture than there is ignorance. The, the response of many people is, I, uh, is, is first, I don't believe in a God. Or if I do believe in a God, I want to believe in a God who, who looks more like me. I don't, I don't want to believe in a God who, who challenges me, who says I can't live the way that I want to live. Um, today, people, even those who, who recognize that there is some kind of, um, there is some kind of creator, some kind of designer, some kind of, um, great, great God or person in the world, 
instead of recognizing him for who he is, they in arrogance um, say that if Jesus is God, I don't like the way the way that he rules. I don't like his I don't like his his rules, his commands, and so I'm just going to live for myself anyway. And so, like like Herod, they set up their own kingdom against the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. But there is a third response to Jesus in our text today and in our world today. There is a, a third reaction to his identity as the long-awaited Messiah. The Christ who was prophesied in the Old Testament. And this, this reaction is, is neither arrogance nor ignorance, but reverence. Not anger or apathy, but adoration. Not persecution, not passivity, but praise. It is the unlikely response of those who have who have actually traveled and come prepared to worship the Messiah, these wise men who have who have come to see this king, the savior of the world. And this third response is pretty clear to us as we read this passage. These magi who have traveled a long way to Jerusalem, they seek the one who was born king of the Jews, and their response is the only right response to the identity of Jesus our Messiah. Herod rejects Jesus as king. The religious leaders, they reduce his significance, but only these magi recognize Jesus for who he is. After Herod finds where this Messiah is to be born, he sends the magi to find out exactly where he is. And so they, they travel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem in search of this king. And on their way, the, the star that led them from the east appears again, and it, it goes ahead of them until it leads them to Jesus. And the text says that when the Magi saw the star, we, we read that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know, very, very literally, we could translate this, they, they joyed a joy a lot greatly. You know, it's, 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 it's just a, a big response, full um, uh, reception of who Jesus is, joy at, at finding him. And so when they, when, when they come and they see Jesus, when they finally found this one who they have been, have been searching for, this, this one who they know is king, they opened up their treasure boxes and they gave him gifts that reflected his identity as king, gold and, and frankincense and myrrh. So what is, what is the right response to Jesus? Not anger, not apathy, but, but adoration. Not, not resentment, not religion, but rejoicing. Because Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is to be praised because he is the Son of God. He is God himself. Are you prepared, like these wise men, to, to open up your treasure chest and to give Jesus the things that are most valuable to you? Because when... When, when we see Jesus for who he truly is, he becomes the most valuable thing in the world to us. The wise men are filled with joy because they have found a treasure greater than anything that they carry with them. Jesus describes it this way. Uh, he, he describes it as a man who finds a treasure in a field. And so after he finds this treasure, he, he goes home and he sells everything that he has to buy this field because the riches of what he's found are far beyond what he already owns. You know, I loved going to uh, to summer camp as a teenager, and we would we would go to camp and we would have uh, five to ten day wilderness trips, backpacking in the forests and, and canoeing throughout 
a chain of lakes at, at the very north of the United States. We had activities like rock climbing and, and whitewater kayaking and horseback riding. And we would, we, we would get there, we would show up, eight, eight to 10 kids in, in each cabin, uh, each group, and we didn't know each other at all. But by the end of the, the three or four or eight week camp sessions, we would, we would be brothers. I mowed lawns throughout the school year, saving every dollar so that when it was time to pay the fee to go to camp, my bank balance dropped almost to zero. The joy and the beauty, the excitement, the glory of my summer was so worthwhile that all throughout the year, I poured all of my money into it. When these magi come face to face with Jesus, they do not hesitate to recognize his worth. And they pour their treasure out to him because they have found him to be a greater treasure. The, the question to us today is, where is our treasure? What is of supreme value to you? Where does your, your time, your money, and your energy go? Do they go into your garden, into your fishing boat, to your family, to your job? Where is your treasure? I'm not suggesting that any of these things are bad, I'm simply asking you to consider what is best. When faced with a, with a choice between Jesus and work, what will you choose? We ought to respond to Jesus for who he is, not what he can do for us. What is your reaction today to hearing that there is one who has the rightful claim over your life as King, as Messiah? Is it anger? Is it apathy? Or is it adoration? Is it rejoicing? Is it, is it a full acceptance of who he is? Where is your treasure? This question for us today is, is really how we will respond to the identity of Jesus. And as I said, we will look over the next few weeks at, at what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, what roles he fulfills as the Christ, the anointed one. The, the three offices or roles that we mentioned earlier, uh, which were anointed in the Old Testament, the, the prophets and the priests and the kings, our response to Jesus as the Messiah are, are the same uh, to each of these three roles. We, we can respond in each of these different ways to each of these different roles, but we should respond in adoration to Jesus as Christ. In, in acceptance to him as, as prophet and priest and king. As our prophet, he is the voice of God to us. As our priest, he, he mediates on our behalf. And as our king, he, um, he rules over us. Some find it really easy to accept Jesus as their prophet and their priest, but they react poorly to his kingship. Or maybe sometimes we, we subtly reject his sacrifice, um, his, his role as priest, by trying to be good enough on our own. His sacrifice, we think, doesn't cover us. I still have to work to earn my favor before God. You know, these, these reactions that we've seen today in this passage, arrogance, ignorance, and, and reverence, these are the same reactions that we can have to Jesus as our prophet or our priest or our king. Because when, when faced with who he is, the question is, will we open up the stores that we have saved up, the, the treasures we have of, of time and energy and money to pour them out before the only one who is worthy? Will we respond with anger or with apathy or with adoration? Who is Jesus to you? 
Is he a threat to your identity that you've made for yourself? Is he just a, a religious idea that you enjoy exploring um, mentally or academically? Or have you recognized Jesus for who he is as, as the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? My, my prayer is that you wouldn't reject the identity of Jesus, that you wouldn't reduce his identity either to fit him into your boxes, but instead that you would rejoice at finding this treasure. You would sell all you have and pour all of your money, all of your time, all of your energy into this king, because he alone can satisfy those things. He alone can, can give you what you need. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for sending your Son as our Messiah, Lord, as, as the one who is to save us. God, I thank you for the, the humility that you have shown Jesus as, um, as the one who came, who, who was God, but who humbled himself and became man, who became like us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for the anointing that you have poured out upon Jesus and, and for opening our hearts to receive him as, as our Messiah and as our Savior and the anointing that you now give us to recognize him as, as, as true God and eternal life. Lord, we, we thank you for your reign over this world. We thank you that, that you are not surprised by the future or the past or the present. Lord, you have seen kingdoms rise and fall, empires topple. You have seen your church through the best of times and through the worst of times. So God, we ask that you would just hold your people in your hand today. Jesus, you have said that you will build your church and not even the gates of hell will prevail over it. Would you help us to take comfort in these words? Lord, even, even though you have, you have said that you will build your church, Lord, we, we are here as your hands and feet. So we ask for wisdom and for protection as we face COVID. As we, as we face uh, political tension in this country and around the world. Lord, we ask for protection in this local church and in, in, in the church universally, protection from division. Lord, and we ask for an abundance of love for one another as your disciples. Help us to look more and more like Jesus each day. Help us uh, to, to respond to you with worship and not with arrogance. Help us to respond with praise because we have recognized Jesus for who he is and not the ignorance of religion that comes so close but misses the mark. Lord, most of all, we ask that, that we would not miss the giver for the gift. Lord, help us to, to recognize our salvation as being brought into a family, not as purchasing insurance. Lord, we are... We are those who have been born of you, if we know you. God, you have given us new life. So we ask that you would, you would press this into our lives, that, that we would know that we are, are your children, that we would know that we are co-heirs with Christ, and that the inheritance that we have been given far exceeds anything that this world has to offer. Lord, give us, give us hope for your coming, for this uh, new heavens and new earth that you are bringing to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.